And we're on with um, Chris Papardia. Was that right uh, pronouncement or? Papandria. Papandria. Know, it's kind of a hard one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Thank you for uh, for correcting me there. So what's up? How are you doing? Good. Winter has officially hit northern Indiana. So we got a couple inches last night over over time span. So I'm just here at the gym. Finishing cleaning up and getting ready for the full day of classes. Nice, nice. It's it's your own gym, right? You or you have a partner yeah. or something? Nope. Uh, we've been open. We're actually going to be celebrating our ten year anniversary in January. Oh shit! Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. How was it during the COVID times? Was it? Uh, were you affected by it? What? Yeah. So um, we shut down for the first uh, round of COVID. Uh, I want to say for about two, almost three months, um, we lost some students, but we actually gained more after we reopened. It was actually around July, close to end of June, early July, I just said, you know what, we need to reopen. This is, you know, people are are going crazy at home and they need something as an outlet. So I said, you know what, if, if you feel comfortable coming back in, then come back in. If you don't, then don't. I mean, it is your, it, it's your own health. And just, we have a normal rule, like, if you're sick, stay home. So if you don't feel good, don't come in. Mm. And I think it's mostly common sense stuff. And um, we... I want to think over the past like two years, like we haven't had that many people get hit with COVID. Like I didn't even get it. Mm. My wife got it and I didn't get it. So yeah, I think there's something to say about, you know, just the fact that people who are active and moving and have somewhat clean diets, you know, it can beat it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's the flu. Yeah. It's just really <clears throat> Yeah, it's yeah, it's um it's bad, you know, especially if we got the first uh, the first um the first variation of the covid, uh, that's the baddest one. You lose like the the, the smell and, uh, and yeah. the taste and everything. My, my my one of my friends had it and he was like, you know, he couldn't like uh feel uh, taste of food or even bear or nothing for like a, for almost a year. Yeah, jeez. So it was like it really sucks, you know. But now, now I think it's good. So yeah, good. So did you guys have had like uh, I know around the COVID times it was like very popular to have have like uh, um, uh, Zoom sessions. So I tried that for a little while, and it just it didn't work. So mm-hmm. instead, what I did mainly it was mainly for the kids. Um, what I did was like homework section for our kids program so like hey you have to go do this workout in your living room send me a video of it and then i did like uh jujitsu history questions Mm. so um just so like the kids like a lot of the kids know like who maybe they know who some of like current mma fighters are but they don't know like the history behind jujitsu Mm. So I'll say, like, who was the first person to win weight and absolute at black belt level at the Worlds? And, 
you know, I've got some really random ones yeah. and I got some good ones. And then, you know, it, and I had them like send me a video of, of one of the person's matches. So like <clears throat> they know, I know that they're actually doing the work mm. um, just so they get educated and they're not sitting around, you know, being lazy lumps because that's, I know because I have a, nine, a 10 year old, you know, she had zoom courses during the day for school mm. But what she was done, like it was plopping herself in front of a TV or, you know, maybe we played board games as a family, but really that was about it. Like there was no, like it was the whole, like you can't go outside. You're not allowed to go anywhere type of thing. Did you have like a curfew? No, we didn't have a curfew. But it was, Um, uh, but were you allowed to have like, uh, to go to visit like friends or stuff like that, or was it like limited? Because here in Nor, because here in Norway, it was like, it was it was limited. You know, you couldn't like visit everyone. You have to have very uh, yeah. if you, if you had close friends, you could visit them, but you couldn't go out and stuff like that. You had to. Yeah, go. we couldn't. We we couldn't really do like we couldn't really go out. If we could go, if we went out, we'd have to wear masks. Mm. Um, yeah, same here. But and you know it was. It got to the point where I just sat there and was like, this is dumb and I'm tired of it. So <laughs> it, it was just, I don't know. I, I don't want to get behind the whole conspiracy theory of stuff, but you know, COVID is a real thing and we're going to be living in it with it for the rest of our lives until they find like a hundred percent cure. Yeah. Um, you know, I say that, you know, my generation, you know, we lived through nine eleven. My ki- my child's generation lived through COVID. Yeah. So, you know, what are they going to look back on when they teach? Like, if they teach it in history books, like what happened in twenty twenty was well, we were shut down. You know, the whole world shut down for however many months, and you either spent a lot of time with your family, which wasn't bad at at one point. Because I mean, I don't. I got to spend more time with my daughter and my wife than I had in years, which was nice. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like for somebody who's done jujitsu and been on wrestling mat every single day of his life, I was going absolutely stir crazy. Yeah. You're like, just, just, just missing, just, just missing to uh, cross choke someone or double leg someone. Right. Well, it, not just that. It's just being physical, being yeah. able to do something. Yeah. Um, that keeps my mind active. So I like started new hobbies while I was in the, while I was on during COVID like most people did. Yeah. Um, one of my students was a professional arch, uh, comp- competitive archer. So he started teaching me how to shoot a compound bow. So I'd spend two hours outside every day shooting a bow or I started working, doing like some carpentry stuff just for, you know, whatever. Cause that's what I've been doing prior to the shutdown was contract work mm. doing home improvements and stuff. So I was like, well, I'm, I'm really bored. Um, I'm not going to see anybody in the workshop. It's just going to be me. So I just tinkered around and just started building stuff. Yeah. So, so you get, uh, you got the time to move on, right? Yeah. I had, I had to do something cause I, I literally was absolutely going out of my mind. So you didn't have like uh, some friends to come over and like 
put some mats in the living room and just rolled or it wasn't allowed probably or was it? No. So what I did was I did kind of like a move of the week type of deal. So it was one of my students and it was only one of my students. We would get together for like an hour for one day a week and I film like three or four moves and then I posted on our student group page on Facebook. So at least people are like, Hey, you know, we're still learning jujitsu and some, a lot of our, our students have family members that they live with that do jujitsu or, you know, they can like some of the stuff you can grab a kid or grab a, even just do like grab a pillow and practice like, how to get up from side control to neon belly mm. or, you know, how to rotate from North South to one side to the other side, side control. So it was just like movement stuff that you could do with a limited training partners or whatever. So, um, it, it really did get to the point where students were texting me and said, Hey, can we open up soon? When are we opening up soon? Yeah. Uh, it I'm... just finally got to the point where I was like, if everybody's cool with it, we're going to open, we're going to do limited capacity. And we did that for a little while where it was, uh, I had to schedule like a Monday and Wednesday. If you were on Monday, you came in on Wednesday as well. You didn't come in Tuesday, Thursday. That was for other people. So like we scheduled it, like you had alternating days and that worked out for like a month. And then we just sat there was like, we're just going to open. If you don't feel like you want to come in, don't come in. Yeah. If you don't feel hundred percent, just like stay home until you feel uh yeah. you feel hundred percent. And we froze all the memberships uh during that time and you know our landlord was really cool about everything. So uh we didn't and a lot of the students are like, We still want to pay our membership. And I'm like, No, you're you're not gonna pay your membership, you're not working, so just and you're not training, so we'll just freeze it for now and then We'll come back to it later. Mm, mm, yeah, that's nice though because many like many like uh, jujitsu gyms lost or many people lost their gym because of maybe their landlord was not very understanding or whatever reason it was. You know, like COVID fu- fucked everything up. So it's yeah, it's good to see that like, some some people have like compassion or landlords have compassion for like the I know uh, you're doing. Uh, Gary Gary Tonin, uh, he had just opened up a brand new gym in New Jersey. Yeah. If beautiful brand new gym and like he he sunk his like life savings into the thing and then had to close it and lost it within oh, like 6 months of opening it. Oh shit, because of COVID. Yeah. Because of COVID. Oh damn. That sucks. Yeah, no kidding. And so, this is why I don't live in New Jersey anymore. <laughs> yeah. What uh but did he get to open that gym again or what happened? Did he he moved to Austin now, right? Uh I don't actually think Gary lives in Austin. I think he still has he I know he still has a gym in New Jersey. Uh it's Brunswick BJJ. I wanna say he teaches it it runs out of like the UFC gym, the UFC Global Gym is what we like to call him. Yeah. Um in New Jersey. And I I think Frankie Edgar ha- has like stake in that gym as well. So it, the two of them are, are teammates in a way. So I I want to say that he's still there because I, I keep seeing posts from him being there. Mm. So I don't know if Gary's full time in, in Austin or not. Yeah, because I see him sometimes when he's at uh, at flow grappling events and stuff with Gordon and yeah. uh, the other guys and, J- and Dana and those guys. 
So yeah, um, but yeah, <laughs> that that totally sucks though. With the open the brand new gym, that's beautiful, and then you have to close down. It's like fuck. Yeah, like it, it was pretty close to like how for us, like we opened, we moved locations, and it was about we were probably here about a year and a half, maybe two, and then we had to close it. Yeah, is it a big a big place? Um, your no. gym. But, I mean, we have 50 feet. We have basically have 50 foot of mat um, in the main room, and then we have a CrossFit room in the back. But it's not it's not very big. I like it being a small gym, um, only for the fact that you know you I can give every single person in the room my undivided attention, um, and I'm kind of a stickler with technique. Like I am, you know, very. Like, this is the way it should be done. So if you're not doing it right, I can see that you're not doing it right out of the corner of my eye and, like, correct it right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, too, is, like, you get in a smaller gym, you're not lost in the fray. You're not lost. You're not a number anymore. Like, you see, like, these big, big gyms, like, I, I'll say Gracie Baja. Mm-hmm. Like, you see a Gracie Baja school, and they're huge. Like, they got mats upon mats and students upon students and Mm, like i don't know how one instructor keeps an eye on all of them and you can't do the whole well upper ranks you know help the lower ranks well the upper ranks they're still there to train too so they're not there yeah i mean i get that they are they need to learn how to teach as well but they're also like paying students and they're paying to train yeah of course so you know, your job as the instructor is to um, facilitate training for everybody mm. and pay attention to everybody, like even the higher ranks. Yeah. 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 Of so course. people, keep, uh, students keep asking, I was like, when are you going to get, when are we going to expand? When are we going to move into a bigger spot? I'm like, I don't want to. No. I like being in a small gym. You know, it suits us. The rent is cheap. <laughs> The location is good. We're literally right on Main Street of our town. People can walk by or drive by. You know, it's good marketing. Yeah, why would I give up this perfect spot? Yeah, if you got a good rent and the landlord is cool, <laughs> why give it up? Yeah, he he is. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like because do you think like uh, I I saw I saw um, yesterday John Thomas. Uh, you know John Thomas, right? Yeah, I, I don't know him personally, but I've I've seen a lot of his videos. Online. Yeah, yeah, but anyway, I'm I'm gonna ask you the same question because he he answered that question, and uh, I want I want to hear what you what what you think about it. He he uh, he asked like, can you be can you be uh, an all elite? I, I don't remember the question like hundred percent, but he was like, uh, can you be uh, can you be good at training out of a small gym? So what what's your thoughts uh, about that? You know, compared to training with a big gym like Atos or uh, Alliance or GF Team or stuff like that. Well, I I will put it this way. I have one student who is a blue belt who comes from a small gym. Yeah, and he placed at every single IBJJF tournament that he's competed at. Yeah. Um, he, he granted it's blue belt, but you know it doesn't matter if it's blue belt, white belt, purple belt, black belt, brown belt, whatever. Um, he is he got third in worlds at his at Masters Worlds at blue belt. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guys that you know that shared the podium with him got their purple belts on the podium. 
Mm-hmm. And then he decided, well, I'm not done, so I'm going to go do two more tournaments. And he won those both, both those tournaments, submitting everybody. So I don't think that coming from a huge gym is important. I think it depends on the instructor and the mindset of the athlete. Because if you look at like some of the older, older teams in jujitsu, like you look at like, we'll go with Carlson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Carlson's team wasn't huge. No, it was, like, it, it was small. Ones. It was small it, compared small. to the other ones. Compared to the other ones like Gracie Umaita and Gracie Baja, Carlson's team was very small and their his competitors like churned out really good guys. And then you look at like the Pettigo guys. Yeah. You know, Heath is, is churning out, you know, uh, amazing grapplers out of like a laundromat, which is probably about the same size, but I would probably go with that. The, the old Pettigo gym is probably about the size of my gym. Mm-hmm. So I think it's more along the lines of the instructor, the philosophy behind the gym and the competitor itself. Like if the competitor sits there and goes, I will like, I kind of tell people like create a goal for a year and work up to that goal. If your goal is just to like compete at the local tournaments and you know, just to do it, just to have fun, that's fine. But we're going to like, we're going to work hard to get in good shape in the meantime. And we're going to work hard to get our game to a specific level in the meantime. Yeah. If your goal is to be a world champ, well, guess what? You should be hitting, you know, you should be doing weights and conditioning almost every day. You should be getting as many training sessions as you can. And you should be getting rest and you should be drilling a lot. You should be doing so much positional sparring out of bad positions that you can like, escape things in your sleep. So I think mainly it is, it's coach and athlete and system. Because if you remember when Hodger moved to England, yeah. He had all white belts. Yeah, I he know. He had maybe like one or two blue belts, maybe. And he went on that, you know, he went on to win Worlds that year. I think it was the year that he submitted absolutely everybody from Mount, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so, with a cross choke. Yeah, you know, take down, guard pass, Mount, cross choke. Mm. Um, so I think that it is it is possible to be high level if you come from a small gym. Yeah. As a, it also like depends on training partners and stuff like that. If you have like training yeah. partners that are, they have, they have a equal goal as you, that will be much easier. Well, yeah. To, I mean, even or, here, like I don't have, I don't have a whole lot of competitors. I don't force them to compete. Like if you want to compete, you know, do it. Like, I'm not going to tell you, like, you have to compete or you're not getting X, Y, Z belt. Like, I don't, I don't look at it like that. I would rather have um, students who, when a visiting person comes in from another gym, be like, what the hell are you feeding these guys? You know, I'm coming from a gym full of, like, IBJJF champions, and they're just mopping the floor with me in here. I'd rather have, like, this, the quiet sleeper school mm-hmm. where... It's just full of like serial killers in the, on the mat. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I don't have, like, we have some competitors in here, and then I have others that are hobbyists. And the hobbyists are just as good as those competitors. Like, the guys who do compete sometimes get trashed by my hobbyists who are just in here to get, get in shape mm. and enjoy jujitsu. Makes sense. Makes sense. Those are some of the, like, I uh, training with the hobbies can, can be equally as good as training with a guy who does this for, for a living, if you can say it like that, you know? Yeah. It's good, you know, training with the hobbies or, or everyone. For, for me, it's like good with training with everyone, you know, as long as you get a good yeah. training. And I, I run everything the same way. Like, so if you're, even if you're not competing, you're going to train like if you're competing. Yeah. Um, mainly because... Um, when I was coming up, you know, we didn't have a lot of tournaments. We didn't have a lot of fights. So if you were close to the same weight class as the guy fighting, well, guess what? You're training, you're in training too. So if he gets hurt, guess who's stepping in? It's you. Mm -hmm. And that happened before where one of my training partners, he got hurt the week of a fight and I was the closest to weight. So, well, closest as in 20 pounds, but <laughs> closest in weight. Mm -hmm. So they cut 20 pounds in a week oh, to fight. Shit. And yeah, that was not, that was probably the worst, the worst week of my life. <laughs> not, very, not very healthy either. No. And back then we were like, we didn't have, we didn't know how to cut weight either. Like, oh, jump in the sauna, put trash bags on, like. It wasn't as scientific as it is now. It yeah. was, you're just going to sweat and, die and be absolutely miserable. Mm. Yeah, I'm excited. Who did you start with when you started training? Where, which school were you like? Uh, what was your first school? Um, so I grew up in New Jersey. Um, and I was nine years old and my parents moved us out from the country into closer to town where our schools were, where our uh, grade schools and stuff were. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so basically I was just bored and I was one of those kids that needed, always needed something to do. And um, my mom basically pulled a, uh, the yellow pages out, which I don't know if you guys have like a phone book, phone books and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we did. We, we, so, we, we had that too. Yeah. So same thing. Like we had the yellow pages. Mom found the first, literally it was the absolutely first number because it was alphabetical <laughs> and it was Alex Wilkie's martial arts. Yeah. And she basically said, Hey, Saturday, you're coming with me. We're taking a drive somewhere. I'm like, where are we going? And she didn't tell me. I'm like, okay. So we drive into into town, and um, we park, and it's. It, she takes me to this like hair salon. I'm like, I just got my hair cut the last week. Why do I need to get another one? And we walk in, and she, we go down the stairs into this basement, mm -hmm. and um. Standing behind the front desk is like is Alex, and Alex looked like he probably should have been uh, a character from the Sons of Anarchy TV show. Oh shit! Uh, yeah, he, tattooed. He's had ponytail, Fu Manchu beard. 
um, had this look in the eye like he had definitely killed some people and buried them in his backyard. Like he's very intim- he was a very intimidating guy for a nine year old to find to to meet for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, of course. Um, we walked in and like it was just like dingy, stinky basement with no windows, no ventilation, <laughs> mat room, and like there's holes in the wall for in the drywall from where people fell through. Um, there's like Bruce Lee pictures on the wall and stuff like that. And um, so we started class and it was, we didn't say it was jujitsu back then officially, mainly because we couldn't. What do you call um, it then? It was grappling back then. Oh, okay. You couldn't say jujitsu. Why? Well, so officially, we weren't a Gracie affiliated school. Mm, okay. Um, so this was back in 1991 when I started training. So this was pre UFC. Yeah. So David Adiv, who is a Hoyler Gracie black belt, he's actually one of Hoyler's uh, top black belts. He's a sixth degree, sixth degree black belt now. What was his name? Uh, David Adiv. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you'll see it. Like you can see him in Mickey Gall's corner and, when he fights in the UFC. Yeah. But so Dave, uh, was an Israeli soldier and did judo in Israel. And he moved to America and started teaching judo in in New Jersey. And then he met Hickson at a tournament and then started training with Hickson in California. Yeah. He would learn jujitsu from Hickson and then bring it back to us out in America, out in New Jersey. And, like, so we weren't, like, officially a Gracie school yet. And so, basically, we were learning Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. But we didn't have that title there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I remember my first class. I, I vividly remember the technique. It was an Americana to armbar for mount. Um, I still teach that same series today. From that's that, cool. like that's and every cool. time I every time that rolls around in our curriculum I'm like this is the first technique I ever learned back in 1991 there and then I have kids in, the, in that class who are like I wasn't even born yet I wasn't even thought of I was like yeah thanks for making me feel gold jerk <laughs> <laughs> good one <laughs> yeah and so uh, and then like I got beat up by a girl and <laughs> aren't we all like Okay, I gotta, I gotta come back and do this again because I don't like getting beat up by a girl. No, of course not. So that was literally my first class in 1991, and I never stopped since then. Nice. Did you uh, stick to the same academy uh, all the time, or did you like move yeah. around a little bit? Or so I, I stayed with Alex. So Alex was kind of above, uh, ahead of his time and stuff. Um, mainly because like he would do like the JKD concepts, which is like the, what straight blast gym schools are kind of based around. Mm. Um, so like I'm, I'm close friends with a lot of this SBG guys because of this, cause we all kind of have the same roots and the same, you know, same storyline basically. Yeah. Um, so Alex kind of was the, you know, no fighting at all ranges, you know, standing clinch ground know how to use weapons like sticks and knives, no like gun self-defense, you know, he was very ahead of his time. 
Like we were doing MMA before it was MMA. Excuse me. And um, so I stayed with Alec and he kind of had his own system of doing things, which he called American freestyle martial arts. So I got my black belt from Alex in that style when I was 20, 20 or 21. And then um, during that time, I also got my black, got my black belt in judo. And then I got my blue belt in jujitsu. Um, but the problem is like back then, we kind of stopped doing gi jujitsu for a long time. Um, Mostly no gi. Mainly because. Yeah, we were a no-gi school. Like, we, uh, Dave kind of, he opened his own gym, and he was living six months in Brazil, six months in America, and he was like, I just want to teach jiu-jitsu and go train with Hoyler. Um, so that's what he did. So Alex got his purple belt, and then we he pretty much like, look, we're just going to take the geese off, and we're going to fight. And we're going to do fight-based jiu-jitsu, no-gi, because... You're not going to wear a gi in an, M- in an MMA match. And back then, it wasn't MMA. It was NHB. Um, so, like, you're not going to wear a gi into the fight. We're not we're not hoist. And Hickson doesn't even wear a gi into an MMA match. So, why are we? Yeah, makes sense. So, we, we took the gis off. And it, like, it took me forever to get my blue belt. Like, I, I was in my 20s before I actually got my blue belt. Um, I probably should have gotten it when I was like a teenager in high school, <laughs> to yeah. be perfectly honest oh, with shit. you. Um, so, uh, I stayed with Alex probably right before I moved to Indiana. Um, I want to say that's been like 12, 13 years, 13, 14 years since I've been here. Um, and, uh, I still, we still say that we're a part of that, that family and that team. Yeah. Um, so like he, he helped raise me basically. Like he was my other dad. Does he still train? He does. Like he is on the mat. His, he's on the mat every day. Um, he's, he teaches all his classes. Like I'm still, I have like friends from that gym that still train. Um, His school is just packed. It's the same gym he's been in since I was, a, I want to say, a sophomore or junior in high school. So that's like late 90s. The same basement? still in the same facility. So. The same basement that you first the first time you met him? or No, we, we actually outgrew that place, moved to another gym mm. um, that was next to like a, like a 7-Eleven type deal. Which was nice because I could actually ride my bike there from my house, so it was closer. Yeah, and then, and then we moved to an industrial complex, so it was a big warehouse that we you know matted and had uh, we had a cage at one point, and then we had a boxing ring. And I think he went back to a cage recently. Mm-hmm. So we had uh, it, it was a nice gym. It still is a really nice gym, and when I do try to get back to New Jersey, I always try to get, go back and see him. Yeah, he's a black belt now, right? Yes. He, what's funny is like the same. Like he got his black belt a few months before I did. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. So it, it it same thing with me. Like it took us both kind of forever 
to get our black belts. But what was really nice for him is that one of the guys that he started uh, as his instructor with, so it, it, it was nice because that student got their black belt in jiu-jitsu first. And they were like really, really like hyper-focused on getting good jujitsu. And Alex was always like, well, we're going to do MMA. We're going to do this and this and this. And he kind of cracked down on really like focusing on jujitsu again. And then, so his, who used to be his student, gave him his black belt in jujitsu eventually. So it was kind of like a nice full circle type of deal for him. Yeah. But did, did he eventually start training in the gi or uh, did he still uh, yeah. stick, stick to? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He started training in the gi again. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. So he is like he was like before it was just a nogi grapple, and then suddenly go back to the roots and uh, start training with the gi again. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, that's that's cool. That's cool. It's, it. I think it's always funny to like listen to to stories from the from back in the day where people trained or how they trained and stuff like that. So many different stories. I always think it's so fascinating and uh, fun to hear how how people did it and uh, stuff like that. It's it's always super super awesome to hear. So yeah. Well, I keep telling my students like, you know, when they sit there and be like, "We're tired. Why are you guys? Why are you so mean to us?" Like they're joking around. Yeah. But like, you guys got it easy. Like. You have all, like, you guys are spoiled in jujitsu nowadays. Like, we had to wait for new stuff to come out. We didn't have new stuff in jujitsu. We didn't have YouTube. We didn't have any of this stuff. Like, we had to wait for tournaments to come, to, to for us to see tournaments from Brazil on videotape. Like, some people don't even know what a BCR is. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I, I know. I, I grew up with it, yeah. so I know what it is. Yeah, so do I. So like, I know what it is, but there, I have like some teenagers in our in our gym. And they're like, I don't know what a VCR is. Like, well, those grainy videos that you couldn't tell on YouTube, those were VHS tapes, mm. and those are the only way we got to learn jujitsu half the time. Um, and like at Alex's, we got we threw punches every night in jujitsu class. We had MMA gloves on. Like, I don't really remember a jujitsu class where I didn't get punched in the face. Oh shit. Like real old. We were, we're very old school. Like he was legit training us how to fight. And when I moved to Indiana, I I started at a gym that was like very, very sport jujitsu. Like, but you know, at the same time, like he was training guys for MMA fights as well, but it was more sportier style jujitsu. Yeah. And I'm like, why am I not throwing punches? Why aren't we throwing punches? Like, why aren't we putting gloves on? Like, <laughs> I almost had like, I, I felt like I was in the wrong place for a long time because it wasn't the same style of jiu-jitsu that I was used to. I was used to like literally throwing punches and getting punched in the head or punched in the body when I was trying to do a triangle or whatever. And, you know, we thought it was Christmas when we got to take the gloves off and not have to hit each other. Like it was mm. rare. Mm. That, that's how rare it was for us. But I mean, in Alex's defense, like he was training us to learn how to fight. Like we were not, we weren't doing it for like sports jujitsu. We were learning how to fight. For streets. Yeah, Bas- for streets. Because ba- he had basically. a lot of enforcement. We had a lot of law enforcement train with us back then. And 
and he still does. Yeah. And, you know, they're not, I'm a big advocate for jujitsu for law enforcement. Mm. But back then, like, you're not, even today, like, I, I feel like the jujitsu has been watered down a little bit to the point where it's like, well, you can't do this in here because it's against the rules. Like, rules where? What rules are we talking about? The rules at tournaments? Because I'm pretty sure this is a gym where you're learning how to defend yourself. Mm, yeah. So, like, we had a lot of law enforcement train with us, and they learned how to, you know, defend punches on the ground and, you know, and learn how to control the body and learn how to submit people if they needed to while punches were thrown. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because yeah, you, you can't like teach uh hundred percent sport jujitsu to law enforcement. It doesn't work it doesn't no. work like that. It doesn't really work like that. Damn, uh I have to end the recording and then have to and then uh and then I have to send a new invite because uh the minutes are up here. So I have to I have to yeah. call you back. Okay. All right. All right, we're back. Uh I put the recording on. So yeah. We're talking about like law enforcement and jujitsu, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like I said, like uh, I I don't think like some of the sports thing would probably work in a street fight, but it's not not everything, you know, not not everything would uh, would really work. So yeah, I right, I get that. I I mean yeah, I mean I granted I I tell my students this all the time. It's like you know you can wear no gi at the gym or you can wear a gi, but you know we're in northern Indiana, and like I said at the beginning, like it snowfall snow fell down, like dumped on us overnight mm. well guess what people wear coats and they wear jeans and they wear like car hearts and stuff like that which are like yeah it's like wearing a geek yeah. so why wouldn't we learn how to use that um and at the same time like in the summertime i've never gotten into a fight with a naked man so <laughs> <laughs> and no yeah i don't plan on it either no that's so, what <laughs> Like people wear clothes. Yeah, of course. T- so even some, even some though some even is, though is if applicable. it is t-shirt, some of this stuff is applicable. <clears throat> but at the same time, like you know, wear a gi, but just don't grab it. Like wear a gi during the gym, during class. But if you don't, if you're training for no gi or training for self defense, well, guess what? Just don't grab the gi. Grab the person's limbs. Use mm. no gi grips. I I mean. If anything, that's gonna make that's gonna like change how you think jujitsu, because they're gonna be able to grab your gi, but you can't grab theirs. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So, um, I do that quite a bit myself, just so it kind of keeps my mind going jujitsu. Yeah. Like I'm always trying to like change things up now because you know I get deeper into <clears throat> my black belt and and later in into it. Like I'm always trying to improve on little things so like lately it's been me controlling hands like wrist control so that's been like the little thing that i've been working on it has been like i want to practice taking the back this way no it's been one little thing which was controlling hands that's it yeah yeah 
like for me, like late, lately, like for me, I, I haven't been training for a while because I had a problem with my health. But before that, I was actually starting training a little bit more self self defense based jujitsu, not 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 like the old Gracie tapes, but a little more realistic, like headlocks escapes or Kesagitama yeah. escapes, stuff like that. It was very is very it's very crucial to uh, to jujitsu actually. Yeah, just, I, just so, so I know. Our, yeah, our gym. I kind of when I first opened the gym. Being that I came from like a heavy, it was a heavy sport competition school. I'm like, I want medals on the wall. I want competitors. And then at one point, we actually took a drive back. My wife, my daughter, and I, we drove back to New Jersey and saw Alex and, and you know, the old school. And I was watching class. and like, that's what I need to be doing again. We need to be doing jujitsu the way I learned how to do jujitsu. The way... You know, I think jiu-jitsu should be taught, which is a very fundamentals-based jiu-jitsu game. And I came back and I'm like, this is what we're going to do. You guys might get bored with it, but you're going to crush people whenever possible. Like, you're going to dominate people with basics. And nothing's more frustrating, I think, than, like, having somebody really good and better than you at just like simple basics jujitsu. Like, um, I think that's why Hodger is as good as he is. And like Henry Akins, who is like the name going yeah. around right now, you know, as one of Hickson's top black belts, yeah. you know, teaching, teaching very fundamental based jujitsu and all these, you know, black belts and, and white and all these other belt ranks are going and learning from Henry and their mind is blown by just it's really basic jujitsu, but stuff that like you kind of forget about because you know I know for me like I can sit here and look at my belts and go, well at blue belt I was really heavy into playing half guard and I learned how I learned deep half guard because I watched Jeff Glover and I went mm. I want to do that. And then I learned more deep half guard because I watched Jake McKenzie and mm. I want to do that. Mm. So I got really deep into that. And then when I hit purple belt, I'm like, I have no game. Like I've been focusing so much on half guard for like past year and a half that the rest of my game went to shit. I can't curse on this, right? Of course. Okay, good. Speak your will. <laughs> No, here is no here uh, is no sense or anything. You can curse as much as you want. I don't care. Okay. So at purple belt, I, I sat. I literally, I sat there. I was like, my game went to shit, uh-huh. and so I had to. I was I. I had just opened my gym, and I was kind of commuting back and forth to work for training. And I was listening to a podcast, and Sean Patrick Flannery was on it. Then I. I yeah, you know, I'm kind of friends. With, I'm kind of friends with Sean now. I, I credit him to this. And I said, you know, I was listening to a podcast, and you were talking about how you were training with all the Paragon guys, and you learned all these guards and all this stuff, and then you trained with Henry, and then Henry just trashed you with basic, absolute basic white belt jujitsu, and you didn't know what to do. So that was my like. Well, wait a minute. That was like, why, why, why is he tra- trashing him with white belt jujitsu? So I did more research on Henry and stuff, and um, I learned that he was the only guy that 
like Hickson was his only instructor. So all he learned was Hickson jiu-jitsu all mm. his life. Did he ever and compete? Hickson? Uh, uh, Henry? Uh, yes. Yeah. Henry. He competed. Yeah, Henry Henry competed. He actually competed quite often. I think he stopped competing at purple or brown. Mm. I want I want to say brown because I take that back. I want to say purple because he it was the tournament where he he blew up both his knees. Yeah. Okay. That's why he doesn't compete anymore. Right. Mm. All right. But yeah, that that was the like that was kind of the spurring moment for me to be like, all right. I'm just doing basic jiu-jitsu from here on out. Yeah. And my I feel like my jiu-jitsu game got better because of it. Yeah, makes sense. I, I'm the same and, too. My, I have uh, a little bit of the same philosophy as you have with basics. You know, like my first instructor, Train Wed, he's very, very, he, he's, he's old school. He started, uh, he, I think he started back in 2002. Uh, BJ Camp Norway in 98. So he started in mm-hmm. 2002 and got his black belt in 2009. But he is very picky when it comes to like very fundamental jiu-jitsu. He's very picky, you know. You have to be good at fundamentals before you learn some some more of the advanced stuff. So he's like exactly, yeah. I I learn yeah. I learn a lot of that from him. Yeah. So like my instructor Jason is a Hoyler black belt, and when I started training with him, I was like, you know, what do I need to work on? And he said, well, you suck here, you suck here, and you suck here. So maybe you should try and work on those things. And everywhere he said that I was horrible at was like mount, top, uh, back control, passing the specific guard, you know, close guard. My close guard was trash. Mm. And he goes, well, these are what you're going to work on. And he, he basically said, like, I have five moves in my arsenal. If you can beat my five moves, you can beat me. But back in the day, this is the only stuff that we learned. So I'm really good at that stuff. So, and that's basically what I've taken from him. And I've ran with it as a part of our gym and my curriculum is like, you are, you are learning basic jujitsu. If you want to learn new stuff, that's fine. Like I am all for it. Like I, you can't sit here as an instructor and say, we will only learn fundamental jujitsu and we will do nothing else. Like you can't ignore this new stuff that's going on out there, like mm. the leg lock game. Yeah. Like you can't ignore that. You have to learn it. So yeah. I actually had a couple of my students. I sat there and said, go learn it and bring it back here so that we can train it. Yeah. Uh, figure it out. Another question uh, when, when it comes to like uh, that, did you like cross train in other places when you trained back in the day or wasn't that allowed? Well, we were allowed to cross-train uh, only a few places. So we were allowed to cross-train at Henzo's, mm-hmm. and we were allowed to cross-train at uh, David and Deves, which was basically like our our sister gym, mm-hmm. essentially. So like those were kind of the two gyms we were allowed to cross-train at when I lived in New Jersey, only because, like, you know, uh, Henzo, I want to say he came in 95, 95 96 ish mm-hmm. i want to say i i'm not i don't remember the date exactly oh, okay but i know that it was um during that time i think i was in high school still like a soft uh, junior senior high school which would be like 98 99 well 99 2000 2001 um we had what was called the bama fights the 
Bayside Martial Arts Academy fights. And Dan Mergliata, who is one of the refs in the UFC, mm. put that on. Yeah. And I tell people, like, I knew Dan when he had hair, and he <laughs> was like 180 pounds lighter than he was than he is now. Um, but, like, Henzo's guys would fight during that, and our guys would fight, mainly because that was the only place that we could fight in New Jersey. Like, it was not legal. We put it on in a, in a, gymna- a high school gymnasium, like most, like, jiu-jitsu tournaments are now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just a boxing ring. So we had uh, kickbox- Thai boxing matches, grappling matches, so no gi jiu-jitsu, or if you wanted to wear your gi, you could. Mm-hmm. shoot fighting matches which was like pan crazed rules and then um nhb which was basically like it was ufc rules like it didn't matter you could do whatever the hell did you, you have gloves or was it a we had gloves. uh well did we have gloves or could you choose i think you could choose mm. i want to say i want to say towards the end we did wear some gloves but not like It wasn't much gloves to be. To, it wasn't much protection. On our hand. We didn't wrap our hands. We just put them on and we're like, "All right, let's go." Yeah, probably uh, not. It was probably not official MMA gloves either. No, not at all. So, But um, so a lot of the Henzo guys uh, would compete. I remember uh, Ricardo Almeida uh, quartering. I think Matt Sarah, Matt or Nick Sarah, fought during one of those nights. Um, And then, like, well, a lot of Henzo's, like, now really good black belts kind of cut their teeth MMA-wise at those fights because it was the only ones we could get into. Yeah. But uh, probably around 2000, it was, I was senior in high school, and I was, like, our, our high school, like, we had, like, first Fridays where it was, like, a half day for the seniors. So one of the kids I grew up with, we both trained at Alex's together and we were in high school at the same, we we're in the same high school together. So what we would do is we would drive to the train station, jump on a train, mm-hmm. go into New York city and train at Henzo's. Was he at the blue basement then in Manhattan or was it another place? No, that was when it was above the methadone clinic. <laughs> really? <laughs> Where it was the oh. dirty, oh, shit. dirty place. Yeah. So it was in the elevator that you didn't want to touch the sides. Ugh. And you like, <laughs> you just kind of stood there in the middle. It was, it was so nasty. Yeah. But um, that was when Sean Williams and John Danaher were teaching day classes, I want to say. And John was a purple belt at the time. John with hair, right? And John had hair. Yeah. He had a full head of, long, he had a full head of hair. Nice. Yeah, I've um, seen pictures of him. It, it looks so weird when he has hair. <laughs> It does, yeah. But, but even back then, like John was like getting heavy into leg locks and, and playing around with stuff. And but I learned a lot from Sean Williams specifically because Sean and I are, are we were kind of built the same size wise at the time. I've heard. Man, I, I've only heard good things about Sean Williams. A friend of mine from Norway used to actually to train with him before. Yeah, he's. You want to talk about like. You know, jiu-jitsu supercomputer of of John Danaher. Sean is just as good. Like he is an encyclopedia of jujitsu. Yeah. Like he could sit there and walk anybody through anything. Like and 
he, he is an amazing instructor and, and we're lucky now the Midwest is he moved to Nashville, Tennessee. So he's not in California anymore. So he's in the Midwest and, and open a gym in Nashville. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that maybe some point I can get down there and train with him again. But funny story. He's his hometown is only like an hour away from me where yeah. I currently live. Yeah. So he comes up and sees his parents once in a while. So I keep telling him, I was like, when you come up, you need to tell me so I can get tri- get on the mat with you again and have him kick my ass. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why not? Right. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. You... But yeah. So we would go up and train out at uh, Henzo's and Alex and Henzo were still are still close friends. And um, when the UFC came to Indianapolis, Matt Sarah fought Chris Lytle mm. and I was actually training with Chris at the time um, at, at a gym where he was training, like doing some of the standup. And he was like, man, you know, you're going to tell me how to beat Matt. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I'm not because Matt's my friend. And so when I saw Matt, it had been a few years, but like we caught, we sat and, and like bullshit for a couple hours before the UFC, before the fight started. Yeah. But even like seeing Enzo, same thing with seeing Hoyler. Like I met Hoyler when I was 11 or 12 and like, they still remember me, you know, it, I was that little runt kid that was always on the mat during seminars at Ho- with Hoyler. And then Henzo, you know, he remembers Henzo is like the nicest guy in Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, like, I'm, absolutely. I'm, I met him once. I, I met him at the ADCC in Finland. I took a cab with him and Gary Tone and he, he actually paid my cab. Super, yeah, that's, super, that's super nice guy. Like, like people say, it was like, you know, did you see this video of Henzo fighting this guy? I'm like, what did the other guy do to him? He probably that's deserved it. Like, that's usually my question. Is like, what did he, what did he do to Henzo? Because like, Henzo is like the nicest guy that you'll ever meet. Yeah, like, he would literally give you the shirt off of his back. I and, like Henzo. Yeah, so. That cross training was allowed, but it was only allowed in certain places for us. Did Matt Sarah open his school back then, or was it was that before he opened his school? That was uh, I want to say it was probably around the time where he and Nick opened their gym out in Long Island. Yeah, uh, the Sarah BJJ isn't that what it's yeah. called? Yeah, Matt Sarah is actually a very very good black belt. Yeah, uh, yeah. I would I would say that like if he decided that he wanted to compete again, like he would give he would win Masters Worlds like it was like it was nothing. He'd blow through your people. Yeah. Like yeah. he is just he is a phenomenal grappler. Like he just had that mind uh, for jujitsu as well. Like, and he's a good instructor too. But like you do that when you literally spend every day on the mat with Henzo, like. And that's how Matt was. Like a lot of those guys, original students were at Henzo's. Is was they were literally on the mat with him every day. Yeah, and it was like the same for me at Alex's, where like during summertime I would be on the mat every day. I would mm. be learning how to teach. I'd be helping out with private lessons. I, you know, whatever whatever needed to be done, you know, I was there soaking up as much knowledge as I could. Mm. It's important, you know. Were, were you like a beginner back then, or was that when you were a beginner, or hadn't you gotten your blue belt or something like that uh, back then? I hadn't. Even, I hadn't even got my blue belt yet. Oh. And but 
like we weren't doing belts at the time either. So I had no idea where I was at. Yeah. So I was, so I like, I could hang with some of Henzo's blue belts. And then, you know, I started training a little bit more, like really folks cracking down and focusing a little bit more on my jujitsu. And that's when I really started like figuring stuff out. And, and it really like, we didn't, I didn't get my blue, like I said, I didn't get my blue belt until before I moved to Indiana. And that was because I started training off and on at David, a school. Mm. And he was like, you just like, you put your gi on, just wear your gi for a little while and mm. you'll, I'll give you your blue belt, yeah. which is basically what happened. Yeah. Did you spend a long time uh, on, on different belts or if I can ask about that? No, I, I literally was a white belt forever. <laughs> <laughs> I still have my original white belt. It's hanging up here at my gym. It's been, it, I had that white belt forever. Um, that was probably like between, well, now a black belt, that was my longest belt. Mm. Um, but blue belt, I had my blue belt for four years, which is pretty long um, for most belts most blue belts honestly and purple belt was two years brown belt was two years and then black belt currently yeah do you think like uh, it's easier to get to get the belts now than it was before you think people are grinding less for the belts and they get it too easy or what's your opinion about that well i think I don't care if I piss people off, but I think it's too easy for people to give belts. And I think that instructors are kind of like, well, if I don't give this guy a stripe or I don't give this guy a belt, he's going to go to another school. So I need to keep him here and keep him happy. Um, I'm the total opposite. I don't give out stripes on belts at all. Um, you, it, it shouldn't matter. Like your belt rank should not matter. It's just a significance of time. Um, because I have white belts in here that give my purple belts a hard time. So it, I, I think I kind of revert back to, um, how it was at Alex's where we had no belts, we had no geese. We just trained because we wanted to train and whoever was the best in the room was the best in the room mm. because we're, so that's kind of how I look at it now. Um, and You know, I do kind of look at time as well and when I when I look at belts for promoting at least my students. It's like, you know, you could be a white belt for a year and then be just like crushing everybody. I'll give you your blue belt, but you're going to be a blue belt for a little bit longer maybe. Yeah. Because blue to purple <laughs> is a big jump. It is. Purple, It to, is. purple to brown is even a bigger jump. So, like I tell people, like, you're looking at blue belt maybe three years at blue belt guesstimate you know just about purple belt you're going to have it for four because purple belt's like the polishing belt you're figuring out you've already figured out your game at purple at, for the most part at the beginning of your purple belt journey and now it's like i want you to get good at your game like to the point where you know it your game is set in stone You can play new and play new game stuff, but I want it to be like hammered home. Like your basics have to be good. Your uh, sweeps, submissions, whatever they have to be good. Mm. Because when you get to brown belt, 
brown belts are basically like brown belts are, are black belts. That's why I like to tell people like you're a black belt. It's just holding a place. Your brown belt. Your brown belt's just keeping your waist warm for your black belt. That's all it is. Mm. So like brown belts are already there. It's just now a waiting game for them now. Yeah. So I think that you know instructors kind of give up stripes and belts too fast. Um, I am old school. I will wake you wait. Like, I don't care how many times you win worlds. I don't care how many times like you beat up other belts above you. Like if I see that your jujitsu lacks in something, like if you can't do a simple bridge and mount bridge and roll escape out of mount or shrimp escape out of mount, guess what? You're not moving up. Like, yeah. If you're ba- if you don't have <clears throat> solid fundamentals and ba- solid basics, you're not going anywhere. And I don't know. I don't know if it's just me that I'm picky, but I I think we when people look at instructors nowadays, you're like, well, you know, I need to run a business, so I need to keep people here and keep incentivizing people. Well. What incentive is a half inch piece of white tape around your belt? True. Like, you know, I didn't know more after you gave me a piece of tape on my belt than I did two seconds before. I know the same amount. Like, I'm not any better after you put a magical piece. Of it's not like unicorn fairy dust that just gets sprinkled on your belt when you get a new stripe. Like, you, you're the same person. Yeah. yeah it's I- it, it just... Uh, stripes just basically tell you what tell an instructor like this is how long you've been here uh this is the pecking order type of deal but like or they look at it as like positive reinforcement Mm. and i tell my my adults like i'll give kids stripes because kids do need positive reinforcement to keep training and and keep going and see that that they like you know just like all schools like education-wise kids like getting good grades yeah, kids like like stars on their papers, like and little trinkets here and there from the teacher. Well, that's basically what a stripe is. Yeah, it's like yeah, screaming, hey, you're doing a good job. It's positive reinforcement. Yeah, and I tell my adults like you don't need any positive reinforcement. If you want fucking positive reinforcement, go somewhere else. Because I'm not doing that. Mm. Like you're here to train. Your positive reinforcement should be, hey, I got that sweep on that purple belt today. I, I got the move that I've been trying to figure out for a month. Yeah. That should be your reinforcement. Yeah. That's but, what I'm looking for when, when I'm sparring. I'm trying to get that that move on uh, on that person, you know, something I've been drilling a lot. And then when I get it, I'm like, fuck, yeah, I, I did it. And that's like. Right. It's, it's, like, it's, I like and, that. And the other thing, too, is like I think stripes cause issues in adults. And it did for me at Blue Belt. How come? Because I sat there many times and I saw guys who were given stripes above me at the same belt rank as I was at Blue Belt. And I'd sit there and go, why is he getting a stripe? Like, he's trash. I literally smash him every single day. Mm. He sucks for tournaments. He doesn't compete anymore. Like, why is he getting a strike? And it gave me like this huge freaking complex to the point where like, that's all I was worried about. All I wanted to do was get a stripe on my belt. And it made me 
like it drove me nuts until the point where I just said, you know what? Fuck stripes. I don't care. I'm just going to train and I'm just going to do whatever I have to do for me to progress. And so I look at that and, and even like seeing students, my students who are, you know, we'll say they're blue belt. There's a purple belt at another gym that outranks him by three stripes on a purple belt. And my blue belt can absolutely 100% smash him every single time. Mm. And he knows more than him. So it's like, what standards, <laughs> what standards are we promoting on, I guess? And that's the thing with jujitsu that I think is good and bad is that there are no standards. Like there is no standard to a belt between school to school. Yeah. Like a Gracie Baja school, you could like attend so many classes. Here's your stripe. So many classes. Here's your stripe. And then you test for a belt. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. That's, that's how, you know, uh, you guys want to do it. That's fine with you. Um, but me, I, like, if you aren't beating people at your own rank, if you're not hanging or submitting people at the rank above you and or defending yourself against the rank above that, then you don't deserve that next rank. Makes sense. And I would rather have quality, quality, I'll say blue belts because that's the belt that most people have in here. I'd rather have quality blue belts than quantity. And I don't have a lot of blue belts on my mat anymore, really. I have a lot of white belts. Mm. And I have purple belts. I have one brown belt. Mm, that's I have not no bad. black belts yet. But I have one brown belt, a host of purple belts, a few blue belts, and then mostly white belts. And everybody sits there and goes, I don't want to be promoted. I'm happy with my belt. Because they know, like, there's expectations, too. Like, if you're a purple belt, you better be purple belt level. Yeah, yeah. Like for me, so I, I kind of take the the mythology out of the belts, the mystic, the mysticism out of it here yeah. at our gym, because I know with us growing up, like purple belts were unicorns, like they were magical beings, and we didn't know, like I didn't know that a purple belt existed. And when you saw a brown belt, yeah, God damn, like that guy's a brown belt. He's crushing everybody. He's crushing the purple belts that I thought were gods. And then a black belt walks in the room like it, it's like you're looking at Jesus walking on water. Yeah, like, basically. That's, that's what you thought they were. Yeah. And now as a black belt myself, I'm like we weren't Jesus walking on water. We were just ahead of the curve. Yeah. That's all I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it is uh, like same was for me, you know, when I started. I didn't have like an instructor. I started like <laughs> – I started um, ju- just by by traveling around different places and uh, and, tra- and train with different people. That's how I started. Yeah, I didn't. That, you know, there's something to that too. It's like you're you're not stuck in one gym learning one style. You're able to learn from other people, and you're learning to learn from different instructors and see what how yeah. they teach and what style of teaching best fits your fits you. Because yeah, I, I really do think that. <clears throat> not every I think jujitsu is for everybody. I don't think every jujitsu school is for everybody. 
I think you, it's like a buffet where you need to try out or need to like see what other gyms are out there mm-hmm. to see which style, like style of teaching best fits you. Yeah. Like I know me personally, I like, I love John Danaher. I love what he's doing for the sport, but I fall asleep during his instructions. You know what? I agree. Because John is very monotone. Yeah. He's very lengthy with his explanation and stuff. And I just sit there and I, I like, I, I tune out and I, it, I don't know what it is, but it's just how it is. But you look at like, maybe like Paul Schreiner, who's a Marcelo Garcia black belt. Yeah. I've heard of him. Um, I, Paul, I, I get a lot of information from Paul and then like Henry Akins. I learned a lot from that watching him. Um, another person that I love watching and, and learning from is John Frankel. Uh, the, is a, the guy in South Korea. Yep. John, who started jiu-jitsu in South Korea. Yeah, I've, like, I've heard of, I've heard of him. I've been to South Korea, but I, I wasn't like too into jiu-jitsu back then. So I didn't visit. Yeah. So John, you know, I would say John is of the same like caliber instruction wise as Danaher is. But the what method of how he teaches is different, and I just I pick up on that better yeah. than I would for like Danaher. And I have some students in here that listen, like, can nerd out and watch John Danaher's DVDs for hours, and they just like it's they just get it. Yeah, but I don't. I think every instructor is different, and I think the student should find the right fit and right instructor. Yeah, yeah. I also like um, Half Grace's DVDs too. I think he he explains uh-huh. very he he explains very easy and it's very basic and easy to apply. Yeah. So like even uh, Half and like Kurt. Yeah. So Kurt Osiander is another great example. Like Kurt, I fucking I, love, I fucking love Kurt. I I love Kurt. Like. Um, I've had him on the I've had I've had him on the podcast uh, three times earlier actually. Yeah, Kurt Kurt's an awesome guy. So yeah. I taught at a seminar uh, when I was brown belt for a, a veterans charity, and Kurt was one of the, the instructors, and he used me as the dummy. Yeah. At the time, my daughter I want to say it was two or three, and like he was coloring and coloring books with my daughter. At, huh, really? At second arc. Yeah, like he would, like Kurt's just a big kid in general. And she's sitting there like, oh, he's this nice long haired man who, who's kind of funny, he laughs a lot, is coloring with me. And <laughs> I know, like, that's Kurt Osiander, and he's coloring with, doing coloring books with my daughter. Yeah. But, like, everybody else is like, oh man, we're so star- starstruck because it's Kurt Osiander. I'm like, well, well, yeah. But, you know, Kurt's a normal guy. Yeah. You know, he's not any different than anybody else. But, like, same thing. You know, I got – I learned more from Kurt and his, like, movies a week or his one DVD series that he did yeah. than I do from – I'm more of, like, a short, a short to the point learner. Like, you I'm, tell me to do this, I will do that. Yeah, I'm – I, I'm the same as you, you know, I, I used Kurt's move of the week uh, a lot, like when I was a blue belt. I still use it at times when I, when there's things I need to freshen up, I, I still use it. it. It's still super valuable, the things that he, he learns. I, I love the way he's teaching too. Yeah. It, it, 
Kurt's got his own style and try, people try to mimic it. But, you know, I think teaching a class, especially like me, I learn, you know, I think me teaching has, my teaching has gotten better throughout the years at Black Belt, mainly because like I loosened up a little bit, but at the same time, like I reinforced, well, this is why you're doing it. Well, why do I keep screwing this up? Well, here, here's a good example. Shrimping. People are trying to shrimp and like get out of side control. And I look at them and they go, I ask them, it's like, well, why are you not getting out of side control? They go, I don't know. He's better than me. I said, no, you're not keeping your fucking feet on the floor to shrimp. And they sit there and go, oh, yeah, amazing. Like, have you ever tried to do a squat or move something from one place to the other with one foot on the floor? They're like, no. Well, then maybe you should keep your goddamn feet on the floor so you can move better. So, like, those little things, like, kind of, like, Kirk kind of peeks out on me sometimes because yeah. I get pissed off on little details like that. Like, that that stuff, like, irks me to no end. But, like, I think that, you know, I've learned from Kirk, like, you know, you got to loosen up a little bit when you're teaching. You can't be a dictator all the time which is what health was. Health was very much like, do this way or I will hurt you. Yeah, um, he, he at least from the stories that I've heard. He was very hardcore and old school. Yeah. But, I mean, the guys that he, tr he produced, I mean, you cannot deny how good they were. Like, people would withdraw from tournaments back in the day because they knew they would have to go with a Half Gracie guy. And they're like, nope, I do not want to go with them. I want to keep my limbs intact. I know I'm going to lose. So, like, a lot of times they were just like, nope, I'm not doing that tournament. I'm not doing that match now. Oh, shit. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, like, if, if they were in a tournament, it was widely known that, like, people would withdraw from that tournament because they were afraid that something would get either get broken or they're going to go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's how, that's just how hardcore and tough Kurt's got, uh, house guys were. Did you have a trainer? I did not. Um, that was, kind of, that's kind of on my bucket list of places to train is at house. Um, I really like, you know, I, house way of doing things i'm not a big fan of because like i, I can't, i'm not gonna beat my students <laughs> no but like i like the style of aggressive hard basics and fundamentals like that's i i think that that is you know a good way of doing things yeah. it works see, very well in tournaments yeah you don't see half doing barambolos or uh flying arm bars no it's it, it's not his style you, you know It, it's not, you know, competition wise, your game should be pretty basic because that's mm. how uh, basics win. Yeah. They just win. Yeah. <laughs> just look at Hodger and then you have a, have a good example. So he beats Exactly. Everyone. Like it, Hodger didn't get bored with doing basics. And, and he said that. It was like, how do I keep winning? I just don't get bored at basics. I just drill them over and over and over again. Yeah, and uh, he beat some very, very good guys with it too. Nobody could stop him. Like when he, if he mounted you, you didn't get out. Right, and that's like even if you watch like Gordon right now. Yeah, Gordon's game 
his game really isn't as complex as people think. Like it is actually pretty basic. Like it is kind of a throwback. You you look at him like he has really good back attacks, which is a major position in jujitsu. You have him, his guard game, his, his close guard game is ex- really good at you. And it's pretty basic submission wise. And then you look at his back attack game. He's controlling the arms and going after the neck or mm-hmm. the arm. Like, the only thing that's like super duper complex is the leg att- entanglements. But even then, like he's fundamentally it's, we're going to control a limb. Yeah. We're going to pre- prevent you from moving and we're going to take our time to, to get the submission. Cause if you look at him, like it, Gordon doesn't do like fast. His jiu is not fast. He's not it's very, very slow. Yeah. And, pressure oriented um patience which is yeah it's patient and slow and he takes his time and he sets traps and that's kind of the jujitsu that i like to watch and i preach to my students like you can step on the gas and redline it for as long as you want but that's only going to do so well for you for so long because guess what age catches up to all of us like you can only do that for so long yeah, uh, not to abort here, but the the time is running out, so I gotta call you back. We we have to continue this conversation. I, I love it. I love it. So uh, I'll see you a new invite. All right, we're back. Uh, the damn uh, the damn Zoom. I don't have like a premium membership, so uh, it's gonna it, it will uh, it will expire in the end. Really, really sucks. But yeah, we're talking about uh, slow jujitsu. Okay. Yeah, we're talking about uh, Gordon Jiu-Jitsu, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, continue. Uh, go- well, well, well. So I think Gordon's Jiu-Jitsu is like is kind of a throwback to uh, the older guy, the old school Jiu-Jitsu that we used to see. Mm. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, can hear you well. Okay. Um, I think it's a good pressure-oriented game. And I really like it because, you know, it's position over submission first. So it's very uh, pressure-based. And that's what I kind of teach to my students is a very pressure-based jiu-jitsu. Sergio Pena, who is an eighth-degree black belt, I want to say, used to say that jiu-jitsu without pressure is yoga. Yeah, there's something right in that. So, um, my student who competes at the Worlds, my blue belt, he regularly goes and trains with Sergio. And, well, he's in Vegas. So, he brings back all these old-school little nuggets. And um, I started, like, really focusing on that pressure jujitsu for my myself and my students uh after i heard that video that podcast about henry and how you know his pressure was just dominant and even like uh hodger's pressure was so dominant so we really started kind of going down that rabbit hole of we're gonna create pressure we're going to make it so that you don't want to move or you want to give up because you can't do anything else. 
And I think especially for uh, older people, like hobbyists, not not so much competitors. Like you, you can't, like I said earlier, like you can't stomp on the gas and redline it all the time. Like mm. you, your body will not let you do it later on. Wow. Yeah, makes sense. Things the way I used to. Like my body physically won't let me do it. Mm. So I have to, you have to change your game up. And I've realized also for myself that my game technically has gotten better because I was able to slow everything down. Like the more you can slow things down, I like to call it like mud sucking somebody where it's like you're putting somebody in quicksand and the more that person struggles, the faster they sink. So if you utilize pressure in that manner, where you're just constantly like increasing little bits of pressure in certain areas, you can kind of filter that person into the bad spots, which is what Gordon does. Like he increases pressure in a certain area and he opens a door that only allows you to go one way. And he has an answer for that every single time. Mm. Yeah, he does. So that's, that's kind of, I'm, that, I just gave everybody the secret to, to Gordon's jujitsu is that <laughs> he's increasing pressure in one spot to make you do something stupid. Yeah. And he has the answer for that something stupid because he's trained it so many times. Yeah. And if now you, if go you, ahead and try and beat that. Good luck. Yeah. You don't get, you're not getting out. No. No, it, it literally, like, his jiu-jitsu is, is basically, like, fighting your way out of quicksand. Yeah. And you're not going to get out of it. You saw you saw his match with Galvao, right? I did. What do you think? Um, I think Gordon is absolutely on that other level. Um, to, I think he is the greatest no-gi grappler in the world. I would like to see him put on a gi and see how he does at black belt level. Yeah. If now, it, if it I know the same like everybody's like, well, you know, Gordon's trained in a gi before and he didn't like it. I was like, I know, but I'm sure his gi game is actually pretty decent. Um, but my feeling is if everybody wants to, him to be, if we want to claim Gordon is the greatest, he needs to go against Hodger in a gi. Yeah. Because... Like, we saw Hodger come out of retirement after how many years? It's a long time. Maybe 10 years? I don't know. Six, seven, oh, maybe. Oh, not, not that long. Maybe. Uh, I think it was like four or five years, give or take. Okay, yeah. He came, four or five, six But years. he came out of retirement, and he went up against Buchecha, who at the time was like number one in the, in the geek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, he stood with him for a little bit, but then once it hit the ground, it was over. Yeah. Like, so I think for him to really, like, solidify himself as number one, he needs to go against Hodger. In the gi. In the gi. To be honest, I don't think he can, uh, I don't know if he can win that, you know, Hodger is so damn solid with, with the gi. He's so solid. Bear 
with me as if you hear my crazy dogs in the background. Yeah, no worries. But yeah, Hodger is so solid with the gi, so I don't know. I think it's going to be tough for Gordon if they ever fight any gi. I think it's going to be tough for him. Yeah. Like, like, very, very, like, very tough, you know. Hodger is, Hodger is uh, yeah, he's just that damn good, you know. Saw what they did with Bushesha the second fight. They, they fought once, and then, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that yeah, fight, they fought once, and it went to a draw. Yeah. And then the second time... Um, the second time, it just you, you could tell that like Hodger had the answer. Once it hit the ground, it was done. Yeah, and he took him with a, and the way he beat him was was basic. It was not like super advanced jujitsu he used. No, it was get to the ground, take his back, and then scarf choke. Yeah, it was super super basic, and yeah, he he does this with everyone, no matter who you are. He does this with everyone. Right, and, and it's hard to. I mean, it's kind of hard to train for, honestly, because, like, you can't train for it because it's the same stuff you've always done all your life, most of us at least. Like, it's white belt jiu-jitsu, but at the same time, like, you, like Hodger says, like, I don't get bored with it, where other people are like, well, I'm going to do this because, you know, it's the new move. So, like, how, how do you train? train for somebody who's perfected the basics that's a good question you i don't know you know uh i don't know no no idea you know train with guys who who uh, who only train basics i don't know because yeah i don't know they most people want to train what's trendy now and what's cool now right you know and that's the same with me is like i did that when i was a uh, blue belt like i deep half guard was becoming a thing so i wanted to do it yeah and it's the same thing with my students. Like, you want to train the new thing. And you want to train the cool new thing. But it's that cool new things, that new shiny things, not always going to be what works all the time. It's it's going to be the other stuff. Yeah, so, solid, good fundamentals and basics is going gonna, is gonna to help you in a match. Mostly, right. Most of the time. Most of the time, for sure, is that that that's that's what's gonna help you. So yeah, that's what that's what I learned, and I still do. Yeah, I still I it, still do it. Yeah, I. That's my. Is that it's my focus? Like, we. When I moved north from where I was in Indianapolis to where I currently live, which is two hours north. Um, The gym that I was training at was kind of the same thing. It was kind of a sportier gym. And I kind of, I didn't, I didn't want to learn. Um, I wasn't really big into beer and bowling. Mm. But so what I did was said, all right, you can do it to me. Just do it to me. And I'm going to learn how to defend it. Yeah. You didn't like it, or you just like? Uh... Well, I I understood it. It just wasn't. I don't know. Wasn't really my my jam. Um, going upside down just didn't interest me. I guess. Yeah. Um, 
it's it's not for everyone. I I personally don't like it either. I feel like a little bit claustrophobic if if I get upside down. I don't like it. Yeah. So well, it was more along the lines of um, it wasn't so much that I didn't like it or didn't understand it. He um, bugs in the front seat. It was uh, I don't know, it was like right after that podcast of doing basics mm-hmm. and learning and listening to my instructor who like said, I have five moves. I'm gonna do those shove those five moves down your throat. So I you know, I wanted to learn the fundamental way of how to beat that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. So, and that's what I still do. Well, I'll sit there with my, with my students and if like the new thing's coming out, whatever the new thing is, I'll let them just drill it on me and I'll work and figure out the ways to beat it with good fundamentals. And then, excuse me, and then go from there. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I mean. So, generic. Yeah, it it makes sense, you know, like uh, make them do it to you and then you drill it and uh, understand how to defend it if you're not going to, yeah, if you're not going to use it, at least know how to defend it and to get out from it. So, yeah, it makes sense. Spider guard's not my thing, but I know how to do it and I know how to beat it. Yeah. Um, Like, daily Eva, not my thing, but I know how to do it and I know how to beat it. What is your thing? Uh, good old smashing basic clothes guard. Mm. You got that. <laughs> um, you got that. So, you got it, that. honestly, if you look at like, I like Hodger's game quite a bit. So I, my clothes guard game is very reminiscent of his where it's, you know, arm drag, take the back. Um, it's very, very simple. Um, my passing game is pressure oriented or it's, based off of the knee cut pass uh other than that it's like my job is to make you uncomfortable in every situation so that you do stuff something stupid Mm. makes sense so it's very like pressure oriented yes Mm. nice i like that kind of jujitsu i think is i think is like it's always um it's worse to roll with those guys. It hurt more than uh, the other guys who's like more burn right. guys and stuff. It, it it hurts more rolling with the guys who got a lot of pressure. It really hurts. Well, I so right after I got my black belt, I had done. I got to go to a seminar that with Pedro Sauer, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, yeah, this will be cool. I'm gonna get to learn how to do stuff. That pa- I'm gonna learn from Pedro, and he used me as the dummy for the entire thing. Um. And he said, okay, I want you to hold me in your clothes guard and not let me out. I said, well, okay. I think my, my clothes guard's pretty good. You know? Yeah. Well, he, he literally just stood right up out of it without hands. And I just sat there and I wish somebody had a picture of my face after it happened because, like, I was dumbfounded. I didn't know what, what happened. And so since then, I've kind of focused more on the – 
old school basic jujitsu that the coral belts have. Like I will nerd out on something that an eighth degree teaches because they've literally seen it all, <laughs> seen it all. And they keep on doing the stuff that works for them, yeah. which is basic jujitsu because like if you can understand a good fun, the fundamental reason of why something's happening, you can stop it from happening. Yeah, Pedro Sauer is also legit. You know, he's legit as fuck. Sure. Yeah, he is. Yeah. So he just stood up and uh, opened your guard. You couldn't do anything. He didn't even open my guard. Hmm? My, my feet were locked. Feet were completely locked, and he just stood straight up. And hmm. I sat there, and I had no idea what happened. And, and then afterwards, I asked him, he goes, you didn't have any pressure on me. I said, ah, okay. Teach me this pressure you speak of. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Uh, he's a legend, man. I've seen some, seen, seen some of his DVDs and stuff. It's, uh, it's a lot of good stuff there. From his, yeah. From his, from his, from his, uh, from, from his DVDs. It's lot, lots of good like hidden stuff that I never thought about. Simple stuff, too. And he and he, I like the way he teaches too. He uh, he knows a lot. Yeah, so I do like his seminars because instead, you know, most instructors they'll will come in and be like, like if you go with to, uh, well, I'll use we'll say like Andre Galval. Yeah. If we go to a seminar for him, he's going to teach you his game, right? He's going to teach you what he is good at. Yeah. Because that's what wins medals, and that's what you know. That's what most people are doing most instructors do like they will show you like i'll sh this is how i do this this is how i'm good at this well pedro does it's a q a so he'll he kind of has an idea of what he wants to do but for the most part it is like what are you having problems with and then he builds a seminar off of that mm. so it's like very personal and individualized each time he teaches yeah yeah Those seminars are good because like I've been to many seminars and to be honest, uh, I've not not used any of the things that I've uh, learned at the seminars. Almost nothing. I I probably could tell you like one or two moves that I've used throughout my life at a seminar that, that I've learned. Yeah, and it's very. I've been to quite a few, but it's it's very few and far between that um, I use any of that stuff. Yeah, uh, like I'm. I've been I, I've I've been to very many seminars. I think most of them has been very useless. So I I I don't go to seminars unless unless there is someone I really know that I can that I, that I can learn something from. Right, right. But I go to Globetrotters camps. You heard of PJ Globetrotters, right? Yes. I go yeah, we were part of we were part of Globetrotters for a while, actually. Yeah. I like I I like the concepts of that. You know, Globetrotters is awesome. They are. Uh, It's good. I do too. The fact that like there is no actual gym, it's just a, a kind of that that free learning theory, which I really like. I, I because that comes from judo too. Your lunchboxes and everything. Um, the idea of like training with everyone, mm. because you look at guys like Travis Stevens. Travis is you know arguably probably the best American judo competitor that we've had. And he could have uh, like a training camp 
the week of the judo tournament and go against the and actually train with the same guy he's going to be competing against on the weekend. Yeah. And and that's what the nice thing about judo is like it's it's mutual benefit. So I think that's what I love about globe trotters is that there is no actual there's no rules. Like you can train with everybody. And that's I guess the reason why my gym is an open door. Like you can come in from any place you want. I don't care who you are. Just like tell me who your instructor is and then you know, you're good from there with me. Yeah. Just as long as as long as you're not a dirtbag guy, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. As long as you have a positive attitude and open minded, it's nice. So yeah, the, the globe trust thing is is very good. You know, the things they have, and the many people, many like other like big teams are hating them for it because they're like, there's open with the policy and stuff. But I don't understand why it just benefits anyone to train everywhere. Well, I think part of it is that you're, um, as a gym owner, you're afraid you're going to lose people. Yeah, and I can understand that. Like I'm, I am afraid to lose people because I am a small gym. Like there are days where I sit there and go, please don't leave me. <laughs> yeah. Or, but, and you have to like do everything you can to make people stay and whatever. But, you know, I think that what Globetrotters is doing is making it easy for people who travel a lot to train. Yeah. Like I have one of my students who travels all the time. Um, can't make it to our gym all the time because he's on the road, but I'll message an instructor that I know and say, Hey, my student's going to be in this area. Would you allow him to train, train at the gym? And a lot of times they're fine with it mainly because I probably know the guy who's the instructor. Yeah. But you know, I, I think that it's an old school idea of, you know, the crayonch, where like if you train in another gym, you're a trader. I don't think that. I think that every at this point in our jujitsu lives, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter where you train. Like, you see people cross training now. Who cares? Like, people go to wherever to train. Like, I I like what Globe Trotters has done. And I think that they helped push that forward of, of training with everybody. Mm, I agree. I agree. They they really did something there. And it's a good thing because they have camps around. And so I've been to two camps. Yeah. I've been to two camps and uh, I've enjoyed it quite a lot. You know, I, I got something from it. And then go into a seminar and pay a lot of money for a seminar. that right. probably would, wouldn't learn anything. So the camps are more valuable, I think. I think so too. Um, I think the camps are are better because you get the ability to learn from various instructors, not just one, which is what I think the origin camp is doing really well in Maine um, once a year. They do it once a year, and Jocko usually is there. Dean Lister is usually there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've, I've and it's, it. it's very similar where it's – you know, various black belts and they get to teach basically throughout a week, I think it is, or four, four days or whatever. And it's, um, you kind of get to choose as a, as a black belt instructor, like who, what class you get to teach, 
and everybody gets to learn from everybody, you know, and you're learning from other gym, people from other gyms. So it's, it's all about getting, spreading the art of jiu-jitsu and learning from everybody. Mm. Like oh. there shouldn't be any closed doors anymore. Like no, it's nobody's just doing anything secret. <laughs> like there's this thing, it's called the internet. And they have this other thing called YouTube. So I can learn whatever you're doing. Yeah. And, and that's what I think. Like, I think the traditional martial artist comes out in people. So we spent quite a few years renting space at a Taekwondo school. And let me tell you, I just sat there and scratched my head a lot of times. And I shook my head like, I hate, I hate being here, but I have to be here because it's, it's really cheap rent. So I'll deal with it. But like the instructor would say, oh, you know, the guy that's down the road is sending spies in to see what we're doing. I just kind of look at him like, "Um, you realize you're doing the same stuff that you've been doing. Taekwondo has been doing forever, right? Like it hasn't changed. I can go to a library and get a book and do the same stuff you're doing right now. Yeah. So I, I don't know if it's like just, old school mentality of like, Oh, people are, are sending spies in from other gyms. Like who cares? Yeah. So stupid. <laughs> what's, what's it matter? <sighs> like, it, so what? Like I would rather have somebody come in from another gym and do something to one of my students mm-hmm. that they've never seen before. And then we can learn from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. hundred percent. It's no secretive or uh, yeah, closed doors or stuff like that. It's just so stupid. No, and that's and that's how jujitsu has spread as much as it has. It's, it's like there are no closed doors. People from other gyms are training with other people, or you're seeing doing or the seminar tour or whatever it is. Like, if you didn't have seminars, we'll say, and you know, I I can either take a seminar or leave a seminar. I it, it's here or there to me. Um, but if if we didn't have that, the sharing of knowledge, jujitsu would not be where it is today. No, oh, probably not. At all. Probably not. Because it would be uh, uh, behind closed doors and everyone is like being so secretive and oh, we can't teach, it, teach this to anyone and uh, stuff like that. Right, like, oh, you can't teach this to Americans. Yeah. Like, okay, so. well, I guess then jujitsu would never have spread to America. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing. Like, and I think the other thing about it is back that most people didn't know back in the day is like the Gracies and I... I say this because I'm a Gracie lineage. Yeah, and I'll probably get people pissed off at me for it, but like the Gracies were rich and Elio didn't teach everybody. He taught some people. Like, you know, it, yeah, it just more to, of lower status. Yeah, just give me a second. Most time. Just give me a second. Okay. Yeah. Mexicans. Sorry, you were saying? Yeah, um, he, yeah, Helio didn't teach everyone. Yeah, I, I've heard about that. Yeah, like they didn't. He didn't teach everyone. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so, like, if you were of lower status, you might not have gotten able to train. 
Yeah. And a lot of like the black coral belts you see now were actually like friends of his sons. Like Pedro Sauer was Hickson's friend growing up. Yeah. Um, and then you had uh, other people who were uh, who were learned from Maeda and learned some jujitsu from one of the Gracies that kind of split off with like the Fada lineage. Yeah. which is a, a non-Gracian lineage, they train people in the favelas. Like, yeah. they train poor people. They just want to teach people, students. So, like, I think that, uh, what book was it? Uh, it was uh, Robert Drysdale's book Yeah, uh, that he had written about the history of jiu-jitsu. Like, you really, you get a deep dive into, like, the history of all of it. And I thought that was extremely interesting. I haven't read uh, read his book yet. I I, I haven't uh, managed to, re- to read it yet. I'm thinking of buying it. I I would definitely buy that one, and then buy and buy Hickson's book if you haven't already. Which one is that? Uh, Breathe is Hickson's book. You can actually get it on uh, Audible. Mm, nice. The audiobook apps, um, which is how I get most of my reading in nowadays because of, of work and, and gym and whatnot. But um, I guess Robert did like travel basically all over Brazil and was interviewing all these original guys and like really did a deep dive into the history of jujitsu. And it was, it's extremely interesting, and I would highly recommend it for anybody who loves jujitsu. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, Robert is an amazing guy, and I've I've uh, I've met him per- I've met him personally once. I had him on a podcast once, uh, twice actually. He's a super nice guy, you know. He's very yeah. no- very knowledgeable. Very. He knows what he's talking about. So, uh, he's so. Uh, <laughs> His movie, I, I I hope it's gonna come out. The movie that he uh, that he's supposed to make, the close guard yes. movie. I, I hope it's gonna come out. I don't know, I don't know what uh, what happened to that movie because it was supposed to come out, and I, I don't know if the project stopped or what happened. Well, like most things, money is a big factor. Yeah, um, getting people to to do something that you need them to do is another one. Yeah. Um, well, even like uh, Sean's. Uh, Flannery's movie, uh, Born a Champion. I like he wrote that. He wrote that movie years and years ago. Yeah, and it just finally got released. Like only like what two years ago, I think it was. Yeah. What do you think of that movie? Um, I watched it and I sat there and went, "Yep, that that happened." And yep, that happened. Like it's all those little things, like uh, trying to explain to somebody that you do jujitsu. Um, that don't know what jujitsu is or uh, having somebody from a traditional martial arts background not believe what jujitsu is. Mm. And then you physically have to show them, um, you know, and, and the fights the way they were back in the day. Um, I thought it was a great movie. Yeah, me too. Um, it, it's probably one of my favorite, mainly because I see a lot of, uh, parallels between what I've seen in my life and and had to deal with like 
figuring out life, trying to make ends meet, you know, doing security and at night so you could, you know, do jujitsu during the day. Mm. You know, that that's kind of like an old, like, that's an old jujitsu instructor's job is that's what we used to do is like you'd have to bounce or whatever during the at, late at night so you could do jujitsu all day long yeah um and and that's a most of us have done it at some point so yeah yeah i look good but it, yeah it's very realistic you know it's very like old school and stuff you see it wasn't like probably not a lot of jujitsu gyms back in it but like in the beginning of the 90s either so it was something right. different. And, and, you, something different. and you watch it, like the style of jujitsu that Sean's using, it's not the fancy jujitsu you're seeing now. It's No, it's not. You know, it's it was that ugly jujitsu that all of us fell in love with because of UFC one. Yeah, yeah, it is. It it it's identically the same. The front kick and just jump on him and clinch and get him down and uh yeah. Yep. Choke him out or choke him out or armbar him or, yeah, the basic stuff. Yeah. I still teach that stuff. Nice. Like, I, <laughs> I still teach that close this, like the hoist Gracie, the, the Gracie stomp. I still teach that today. Nice. Everybody's like, that's not realistic. I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, it's realistic, you know, that move. I, I think it's like super cool. I've watched it several times. It's like, I, I love it. I, I talk to Sean sometimes too. And I, I'm, I'm going to have him on the podcast like uh, in December, I think. I've talked to him. So uh, I'm going to try to get him on. But I, I to tell him several times that I fucking love your movie. You have, you have to make a prequel to that. Yeah. Well, so um, Sean, I messaged him. Um, when was it? A while ago, and he actually lives in Houston, Texas now. Yeah. Um, and one of my good friends, Brian Marvin, also listened. He runs uh, Henzo Gracie Houston. Actually, runs the Henzo uh, affiliation in the in the Houston area. So he's got like four or five gyms in Texas. Yeah. And um, I said, next time I'm down in Houston, would it be okay to train? He goes, dude, you got a home here whether you whenever you're in town I, and i said i appreciate it and so i make custom jiu-jitsu custom wooden flags and we made him one for his gym his garage gym so if you ever see like pictures of sean's uh jiu-jitsu gym there should be like a wooden flat american flag up at the, on the top that has all the belt ranks on it and so that was one of ours that we sent to him nice and um, Sean is a big proponent of the We Defy Foundation, which is a veterans-centered charity that gets uh, veterans into uh, combat veterans into jujitsu, mm. um, and they do it like an annual gala thing. And he's been the the head speaker for the last two, and he, and he pretty much just said like, "I own one of these flags." because I always donate one. And if you don't get one, you're an idiot. So, mm-hmm. um, so Sean has become a friend throughout the past couple of years because of, just because of, not only because of the movie, like I tell people like, you need to watch this movie. And I have it a lot of times playing 
on the DVD player at my gym. Really? Yeah. So like, I'll just for like background noise or whatever, I'll I'll just turn it on. I'll just leave it on. And sometimes like I'll have some of the kids that are hanging out because their parents are training. They'll sit and they'll watch it. And oh. I, I sit there and I think, you know, you're watching, you know, what the history of jujitsu was for some of us. Like this is what we went through. This is what we lived with. You're kind of seeing history now because it's bringing jujitsu to the forefront in a way. Yeah, the, it's almost the origin uh, origins for uh, some of uh, yeah for many people. This is the origin. This is how they started. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's a it's pretty cool. You know, I I like it. I uh, I like it. it. It's a sad movie, and it's a very and it's a very uh, happy movie. You know, it's it's Man. cool. <laughs> I like I say it like I'm not a big crier, but <laughs> if you sit there at the end, like if you don't shed if if you, you don't shed a tear, like not once but twice in that movie, like you have no emotions. Yeah, you you are you are physically dead inside. Yeah, <laughs> right. it's it's so badass. I I love the way that he's rocking the uh, the um the Atamagi in the movie because I'm I'm a huge fan of the Atamagi so it's like it, it was a super cool I had scene. that same gi hmm? I had that same Atamagi and it it finally just decided it like after years of wearing it at Blue Belt like white belt to Blue Belt it just decided to give up on me yeah. <laughs> and it really it really pained me to get rid of it why did you? Why why did you frame it in? Uh, frame it in instead, and just to keep you it. You know, uh, if I thought about it back then, I probably would have, or like maybe I would have kept it for, like maybe my daughter if she ever decided to do jujitsu. Yeah, but like I didn't. Granted, back then I was in my twenties. I wasn't thinking about having kids or or anything like that. I was like, well, I guess it's time for you to go. I'll just. We'll just send it on your send you on your way type yeah. of deal. Was that before? It wasn't the mundial, right? It was before the mundials. That gi. No, it was that one. It was it was that same one that Sean wore in the in the movie. Yeah, that same. Um, yeah, because I remember it was like it wasn't a single weave. It was like a platinum weave gi or a gold weave gi. It was heavy, and I really liked it. Because it was heavy, um, it reminded me of a judo gi. Yeah, but was it was it like the mundial one, or was it before they started calling them that? I want to say it was the mundial one. Mm. Yeah, because I've been trying to look at, I've been trying to look at to see if I could find it somewhere. It's uh, I tried to Google everything that I could uh, imagine how how to find it, but I, I can't find it anywhere. I think it when I bought it. I saw that Solo had worn it at a tournament. I was like, well, hell, if Solo wore it at a tournament, I want to wear that one too. Yeah. So, so that's why I got it. Yeah. My my first one was, uh, my first real good gi was the single wave, a Thomas single wave, a black one. That was my first. And I had it, my, for, I, I, had it for, I had it for six years, six, seven years I had it. Oh wow, that was that's you got a good life out of that one. Yeah, I sold it to I sold it to uh, to uh, some girl at the gym for a cheap a cheap amount of money because she asked how much you want for it. Ah, pfft, 
not much, ten dollars, like something like that. I, I, I didn't, I didn't sell for much, so I just sold it. But it was super. It been with me a lot of years on the mat. My first legit jujitsu gi was a Krugan's blue gi, tribal gi. Of Krugan's, um, that's old school. Yeah, yeah, it was the old school tribal one. Um, I think I saw it somewhere. I saw they were selling them again somewhere. I thought about grabbing one. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Just for, sen- just for sentimental reasons, like that one, I probably would frame. Yeah, I wouldn't even wear it. I just framed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. Geese are cool. I love geese. I really, re- really love geese. It's a uh, geese are geese are like your the same thing as like an instructor. You kind of have to find the right one. Yeah, like the right brand. Like <laughs> you go through tons of different ones until you find the right one that's that's like perfect fit. Mm-hmm. Um, like it took me years and years and years to find the one brand that just fit me perfectly, um, right out of the bag. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's not easy. You know, I tried a lot of a lot of good geese, and I also tried a lot of bad geese that I didn't like that I never bought again. That was shit. Yeah, yeah, same. So yeah, it's uh, but the Atama, I always go back to the Atama. I think I have four Atamas actually, four or five. They never go out of style. No, uh, they don't. Just... They don't, and they they are tough as nails when it comes to using them. They can, nope. you you can't rip it apart. It's impossible. No, yeah, they are super durable and uh, yeah, they last forever. Put the recording on again. Yeah, but uh, like yeah. It's almost super durable, never, uh, and they never like uh, get fucked up unless you have them for like uh, 20, 30 years. Then they probably will tear. But yeah, mine, mine, it was the collars that went like the the material around the collar. That's what finally decided to go. That and I like it got shrunk. So when I stuck my arms out, the sleeves came up too high, so I couldn't really wear it anymore. Mm, yeah. As- that was the same with me, with mine too. Actually, with the collar, it uh, it ripped. A guy collar choked me, and then I heard it back in the in the studio. So I, I heard it. Then it that it, it ripped. So I was like, "It's time to get a new one." Yeah. But yeah, they're super durable, and yeah, they're super durable, and uh, and they and uh, people still buy them. That. Oh yeah. People still people still wants them. They're like very popular, you know. So yeah, and and they're a bit pricey, but it's they're worth the money. Well, I my feeling is like you buy you buy you pay you buy what you pay for. Like mm. if you're paying a lot of money for a gi that you want to be durable, then you know spend the you know spend the money you want mm. that you need to to get a good quality gi. Yeah. Like I tell brand new students, like buy yourself like a fifty dollar gi. Buy a couple of them because you're going to be training every day, maybe, and you're going to want to have multiple gis. Yeah, and then save up a little money and then start getting, you know, a good gi here and there. Like just sprinkle it. Like get one brand new one, like Christmas time. That's usually well to tell guys. Like hey, Christmas time's coming up. Now is the time to or look into you know putting a gi on your on your Christmas list for people, and you know that's usually when I see new gis coming into the gym is right after Christmas, and they'll wear it like maybe once or twice, and then they'll go back to the old old like cheap ones, 
or you never see the cheap ones ever again. And they only wear that brand from here on out, the new brand from here on out, which yeah. is typically what happens. Yeah. Like, I mean, I got this new gi, like people buy like shorty rolls. So like, I will never wear another gi, but shorty roll. Yeah. Like that's good for you. But they are like super pricey too. Show your roll. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Like I, I love uh, War Tribe geese. Um, they just they just fit my body type right off. Like I'm an A two in War Tribe. I'm like an A three and something else, and A two and a half, A two tall and something else. Mm. But like I order an A two War Tribe, and it will fit me immediately out of the bag. I don't have to wash it. I don't have to shrink it. It fits perfect every time. Yeah. Um, and like that has been my key of choice. Um, like shorty rolls, I, I feel they're a little baggy on me. Like an A2 is baggy on me. Yeah, so they're, they're a little baggy. I, I have to go to the, um, oh, what's it called? When you have to fix something. Hmm? The tailor to yeah, get yeah to, yeah yeah I have to yeah. go to the tailor I I have a few shorty roll geese and every one of them I have to go to the tailor with the jacket because the um, because the jacket is too long yeah the arms is too long so I have to go to the tailor and fix them so uh, I'm probably not gonna be buying uh, buying more shorty roll geese anymore because of that with I would like origin geese are the new geese that I kind of um interested in but again same thing like i can't i personally and my wife would kill me if i spent 300 dollars on a key oh shit yeah. but i but i like the fact that they are american 100 american made like i really i really like that yeah they um they look cool too and they have like different fabrics and they have they have one that is super light and they have some heavies they have some medium heavies they have they have like everything yeah, yeah. they and they're and same thing with Jocko and Pete like they're jujitsu nerds, nerds too they like they want to improve jujitsu as a whole and they're doing what they can and they're trying to bring back like american like old school american industry back yeah. to back to the people and you know, and they're doing it in a in a way that they know works, which is jujitsu stuff. Mm. Yeah, I saw how they how they started up the fabric. They found like an old uh, old machine, the old, and yeah, uh, the looms. Mm. And they uh, renovate the whole machine and fixed it and uh, started making geese out of it. Yeah, I like I like old school stuff like that, where like they had. The old, like they make boots now, which I have a pair of their boots and I love them. Um, they, uh, they basically found like the old school, like shoemakers, the last, like of the shoemaker boot makers in like Massachusetts, Northern, you know, main area. And they hired them to teach everybody how to do it. And then that guy finally retired. And now he's got, you know, he kind of passed that knowledge along to somebody else to do that old school um old school trade yeah we had actually like um now i'm visiting my mom in a small town in norway where she lives and i i don't think we have a shoemaker here anymore we had one but he retired so and, and nobody nobody like took uh took after him so uh i don't think we have it anymore 
yeah, it's traits like that are dying are dying art because you know we we all want Amazon stuff. We want it right now. We don't want to wait. Yeah. Um, you don't want that that handmade quality of stuff anymore. You just want like right now. Yeah. Um, and I think that um, you can kind of see parallels between that and jujitsu mm-hmm. in a way because. Mm-hmm. You want that new move right now. You want to fix that problem right now. So, but you're not willing to put in the work to learn, like the true craft and trade of it, which are like the fundamentals, maybe, yeah. or like the, the pressures and the postures and fixing fixing these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I uh back to the back to the Thomas. Did you order your Thomas from uh, from from? Uh, Direct from Atama. Yeah, direct from Atama. Back in the day, was it like a web page there, or you have to do it uh, through the newspaper, or how do you do it? I think I did it through the web page. Oh, they had that. But, yeah, there's only like there at the time there was only like a few geese that we could get, and I think I want to say I ordered my Krugans through the mail. Um. <laughs> 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 uh, the Atama I got online, and I think everything else has been online since then. Yeah, uh, too bad you threw away the uh, the old Atamas, the same as Sean Pepper family is wearing in uh, Born a Champion. Too bad. Oh you. yeah, I know. I would if I had it, and I, if I still had, it, I would have brought it down to him and had him sign it or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would be cool, you know. Had had it signed, and then you can just frame it in and had it had it on the wall in the gym or something like that with a with with, yeah. with a black belt around it. That would be cool. Yeah, I mean, my I have my original black belt hanging up, jujitsu black belt hanging up, so that would have been cool to put next to it. Yeah, yeah, that would be like super cool. I guess I still I still have some of my old geese, and I'm 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 not gonna get rid of them. I'm still gonna just gonna have them hanging around in my closet. Still, my white belt's also in my closet at my mom's place, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna yeah. I'm gonna let it stay here because then I know I will never lose it. Right. Yeah. So yeah, makes sense, man. So is there anything more you want to add? We've been talking a lot. It would I enjoyed seriously every second of it. It's, it's it's actually one of the best podcasts I ever had. I'm not even joking. Well, thank you. I re- um, really appreciate the stories and stuff. So uh, anytime you want to come back and share something, uh, some jujitsu stuff, I'm down for it. So absolutely, would love to do that. Yeah. Um, anything to add? Uh, honestly, just er- everybody, just in general, whoever listens, like keep training. Like I know there are days like you just you drive home with the like the radio off after getting your butt handed to you and you're just sitting there angry and pissed off at yourself. But like there's been plenty of times I have been literally doing jujitsu the majority of my life. It was 31 years this year doing Brazilian jujitsu. And I can tell you multiple times that like I've come home after a a horrible day of jujitsu and like blue belt, especially like I took my blue belt off. I threw it in the trash And then I turn around, I stop, I take a breath, I pull my belt out of the trash, I dust it off, hang it back up, and then I go back to the gym the next day. And I go back the next day, and the day after that, and the day after that. So when you feel like you're like, 
you sit there and you, you continually get your butt handed to you, it will get better and it will get easier. Um, at least that, at that point for that problem you're having, it never gets easier. Like ever there's, there's levels to everything. Um, but as long as you keep showing up and just it, keep enjoying what you're doing, mm-hmm. you're never going to want to quit. Like I love it. I, during COVID when I couldn't do jujitsu, like I was severely depressed that I could not, like I couldn't train. Um, if I miss one day of being like, even now like, I don't roll as much as I used to because I'm teaching more now. Yeah. But if I miss that time where I don't get to be on the mat and like, just put my gi on and be with everybody. Like I hate it. And there was a point, uh, like post COVID where I, I injured my hand with work and I couldn't train because I had like, seven stitches in my thumb and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't touch any, but I couldn't grab anything. I was still on the mat and I was still teaching. Mm-hmm. That's good. Because I wasn't in my gi, but I was teaching from the side because I needed to teach. Like I couldn't, I couldn't stop. It's almost, um, my wife and I, we watch, uh, uh, a show together, SEAL team. And I know there's like some, uh, Hollywood to it, but a lot of times you see like the parallels to like people wanting to get deployed all the time and go back to war. Well, it's the same thing with jujitsu is like, I can't not stop because like, this is all I'm good at type of deal. Like this is all I've known for 30 years. So it's the same thing with like people being deployed and dealing with, uh, going into battle. Like you, if you've grown up in the military and you're constantly being deployed to a war zone and you're constantly going and going and going and going, that cycle, you know, becomes who you are and you don't know how to stop. Mm-hmm. But at least jujitsu is a healthy addiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm not having bullets flown by my ass and getting blown up routinely. But, like, don't quit. Like, show up. If you don't feel like coming in and training – sit in, sit on the mat and cl- w- be with your teammates. Mm-hmm. Like just sit and watch class. Cause I, I tell my students, like if, even if you don't feel good or maybe you had a bad day, just show up to the gym. I don't care if you train, just show up like videotape class, be part of the group, just be here. So that is my parting knowledge. It's just like, it doesn't get easier. It does get better as long as you're there. Mm, 100%. 100%. It will. So just keep on grinding and uh, show up no matter what. Yep. All right. I got to say thank you to you, man. Uh, we got to do it again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you for uh, being patient and getting us back, getting us together. <laughs> no it worries. No worries. I, got, I, I, I understand that you got a family and stuff, so it's uh, there's no... Uh, there's no uh, no no beef from uh, from my side. No. Wow, uh, I appreciate it. It was, I enjoyed it. No, nothing. I'm not mad. I'm uh, actually I'm glad it took it took so long because now it was like it was so much more valuable now that it took so it took so long. So now it was much more right. valuable for me. So uh, 
So, so I, I gotta say, like, thank you, thank you. We we gotta meet uh, up and train one day. If I visit the states again, we gotta train. Yes, I agree. My okay. gym's always open to you. Sure, man. Thank you, and uh, good luck to uh, to you and your gym and uh, in life in general, man. You too. Thanks, man. I hope to see. Uh, I hope to see some pictures of promotion someday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you will, but not not yet. We'll see. But uh, yeah, let's hope so. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Absolutely. Take care. Bye. Bye.